Hello and welcome to Brits on Flicks, your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, dissect and deliberate over a particular movie. This movie on this episode is The Company of Wolves. This was a first time watch for both of us, wasn't it Brian? It was indeed. Yeah, so obviously we don't have much of a history with it, but what about with the filmmaker? Yeah, Neil Jordan, uh, I, I, I'd i say Interview with a Vampire is probably probably the most recognisable film on his CV to most people, certainly to me. Uh, I have seen a couple of his other works, The Brave One, which I think I mentioned last episode, I, I, it's not terrible film but it's not great either um end of the affair or some i think it's called the end of the affair that that was that was okay it got quite a lot of critical acclaim when it came out i i thought it was good but nothing too much to shout about but i Mm -hmm. even when he makes a bad film or a film that isn't particularly outstanding does he has a certain sensibility about him a style that kind of I think separates him from most Hollywood kind of filmmakers. He he doesn't mm. seem to do things in a very generic way. Um, like even even if you don't like his films, I think you'll be able to appreciate them on some level. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a strange filmography when you look at it. Mm. You know, um, I I, I recognised a lot of the early or the late eighties, early nineties movies on it, like um, High Spirits. I seen that a lot when I was younger. <laughs> Um, We're No Angels and Mona Lisa was one that stuck with me um, it, it's been a, lot, a long time since I saw it Is that the one with Bob Hoskins? Yes Ah right yeah Yes. Um, and I remember the the whole hubbub about the crying game when that came out Yes yeah. I, 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 Most of my knowledge of the crying game came from Ace Ventura Pet Detectives so. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all remember that Um yeah, like you say, Interview with the Vampire is probably the biggest movie on that list. Mm. Um, but yeah, Company of Wolves was a movie I picked up a couple of years ago, hadn't had the chance to watch it. This was the perfect opportunity and I knew nothing about the movie going in mm. at all. So Brian, do you have a quick synopsis for us that you've begged, borrowed and stole? I, I do indeed. I didn't beg or borrow any of this. I came up with it myself about five minutes before we went on. Um, okay, so here goes. When Rosaline falls asleep, she begins to dream of a land alive with myths and fairy tales surrounding the legend of werewolves. In this fantasy world, she finds herself heading down very familiar territory to anyone who has read the story of Red Riding Hood. She, it seems, is that very character. When face to face with the wolf who has eaten her grandma, she seems all too willing to become that which any sane person would fear. But as the fantasy breaks into reality, literally crashing through her bedroom window, Rosaline comes to regret the day she fell into the company of wolves. Well then, um... I had no idea this was a, a period movie. I had no idea it was a take on Red Riding Hood going into it at all. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, that cover, the cover's fantastic. Mm. Um, and I just I just didn't know what I was expecting, but I didn't expect what I got. I think I actually messaged you 15 minutes in going, I had no idea yes. this was like this. Yeah. Um, 
did you know what you were getting into? I, I, not to this degree. I I knew it was a variation on Red Riding Hood, um, mm. and I I I got the sense we were going to have a lot of scenes in forests and places like that. But yeah, I I didn't. I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. I guess, but um, yeah, it's mm. it's it's definitely different. <laughs> say that much um like the the, the thing that strikes me straight away about it more than anything is the production design uh and it was done by a guy called anton first who actually won an oscar for tim burton's first batman movie so he did the did all the production design on batman unfortunately he he sadly uh committed suicide not not too long after after winning that Oscar, but um, but yeah, he 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 certainly had an incredible eye when it came to making things in the studio because he's you know he he comes from that old school kind of style of production design where everything is literally built meticulously from scratch mm-hmm. in a studio. So everything you're looking at, you know, it's not it's not location shooting. It's all kind of no. in studio stuff. And while in many ways you can kind of tell. In a lot of other ways, it's it's also it's better because it it mm. takes you completely to whatever world it is they want to take you to. Um, mm-hmm. If if you this movie, it movie doesn't pretend that it's not a dream movie. It lets you know right from the start it's it's a dream. So you mm. have this this setting that doesn't look realistic. It looks like a, a sort of manufactured forest, which it mm. is, and it looks particularly great. But it fits in with this dream world aesthetic mm. that it has, um, and. You know, just talking about the whole dream world, there's a, an excellent scene at the start as she starts to have nightmares of her toys chasing her through the, mm. the forest. And that's when I was like, oh, this is this is completely different to what I expected. But it was kind of kinetic and, 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 and disturbing and these strange large toys trying to hunt her down. There's just such really nice imagery right at the start of the movie. Mm. It kind of has a, an Alice in Wonderland vibe about it as well in that regard. Mm. That You know, that... The sense that we do start off knowing she's in a dream, um, you know, it does have that Alice down the rabbit hole kind of kind of vibe to it. So that, like, even with Alice in Wonderland, you know, you get all these real world things that kind of become converted or subverted or whatever the word is into different things within the fantasy world uh, that she then has mm-hmm. to deal with. Um, of course, in that story we don't really get the fantasy world then breaking out into reality like we do at the end of this film but mm. um, I, mean, I felt it was very much like a kind of Peter Pan or even Jumanji you know where the characters in a real world were taking part of the, the city characters in a dream world as well because mm. our, our father's boat and both type of thing and yeah it was, it was it was interesting very different and, and of course lots of great actors on board here none more than Jessica Fletcher herself yeah, I, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I've never been. I, I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I, to, to me, Angela Lansbury seems to have this mythic status. Well, As, do you know how many murders she stopped in Cabot Cove? Women's <laughs> <laughs> agent. Oh man, I, I hated Murder She Wrote. I really did. Um, I was always more of a wrong com- with you. <laughs> I was always more of a Columbo man myself, but even that got tiresome after a while. But uh, mm. yeah, I, I I wasn't really into the 
myriad of murder detective private investigator TV series that fluctuated through the 80s. But um, Has this woman... Has this woman ever been anything other than a grandma-type character? Like no. It just seems like no, all through history. Yeah, she's always been old, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, don't get me wrong, I've got nothing against Angela Lansbury. She's, she's a perfectly fine, mm. capable actress, but I, I, she just for me, she's always been one of those who seems to have a status that's above her, yeah. uh, I don't know... <laughs> I guess what it. Well, was. now you're done with the granny kicking. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, her character himself tells lots of tales to young Rosalind, like, and, and she's kind of like pushing the story forward, or, or telling her lots of little tidbits of stories that are going to come together in the end. Mm. Um, so, what did you make of that character? Um. The the, the Lansbury character. Hmm. Like not much to be honest, because I'll be perfectly honest. As as much as beautiful as this film was to look at, I wasn't particularly engaged with it. I, I mm. must I must say, I it kind of left me feeling somewhat detached, a little bit cold to what was going on. I never really felt truly connected to anything. And because we do, we don't seem to get one continuous story. We kind of get a continuous story with all these other little fairy tales mixed in. Yeah, and you're never quite, yeah, you're never quite sure how they're going to tie into the overall kind of overarching story. And it's in in some in some ways, some of them don't really feel like they do. You know, it's it all feels very disjointed to me. and I don't know if that's something that would improve on multiple mm. viewings, but it didn't engage me enough on the first viewing to make me want to go back and 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 do that and give it that mm. second go, you know, in in a way that mm. like a film like Donnie Darko would, where yeah. that requires a second viewing, but because of how you know engrossed you were in the first time, you, you're very happy to go back and do that, even if you didn't quite mm. get everything first time round. Here, it was like, okay, I liked it. It looked pretty, but everything, yeah, for me, just felt a little bit too jointed, and I, I ultimately ended up feeling a bit disconnected from it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like a lot of the stories had a similar theme. In fact, I felt the movie had a, a particular theme through it, and it was the, the, the demonisation of men, almost. I felt as if every story pointed towards how men were these sexual creatures that were always after one thing, they weren't to be trusted, they were always duplicitous in nature. Um, Almost all of them seemed to want something. Yeah, I mean, like, for me, the theme is pretty much spelled out in a uh, scene in, in a church when this priest... And and the delivery here as well kind of really annoyed me because it felt like it felt like one of those instances where maybe this was the, one of the most important scenes for the writer, but maybe wasn't quite for the director. And then maybe a clash of ideologies meant that actually this scene was mishandled. Um, but the, so this the the priest reads 
And we've already seen that uh, Lansbury's character doesn't like this guy. She has a lot of disdain, <laughs> a lot of disdain for the church embodied in this priest. Well, I, well, I, th I think that's where the thing comes from. The, all her stories are about men being awful and she's obviously alone and there seems to be some sort of history there and mm. she seems to demonise almost every man that she, that she possibly can. Yeah, but, I, but it's... Um, he, I mean, he quotes, he starts preaching from Isaiah 11, 6 to 8, and it's a, it's a prophecy from the Old Testament uh, of peace between all animals and mankind once Jesus returns. So, the uh, <laughs> okay, here we go. Here's where you fall asleep. Listen, <laughs> you, can, you can fall asleep. You can you can say, "Oh, I'm not interested in this," but it's there. You know, this this is the stuff that the film is about. So, uh, if you if you don't want if you if you don't want to talk about this stuff, blame the filmmakers. They're the ones who put it in the film. You know, they had a choice. But um, so, so this this is an Old Testament prophecy that predicts the not the not the first coming of Jesus, but the second coming of Jesus. And during that time. That's when the, the essentially the earth will be restored and mankind will finally be at peace with animals the way we should have been back in the Garden of Eden. There will be no unrest and all that kind of thing. Um, and it's you know it just as if to prove the point that we're not living in that time now. Spiders fall from the ceiling and kind of yeah just I I, I don't quite get what they're doing there because uh it I, you know it's 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 hardly i mean what are those spiders doing are they attacking are they I, I i don't know it just there seems to be this theme set up about the fact that the time we are living in now is a time of unrest between man and beast and that obviously plays out in the in in the werewolf faction you know the fact that man can't and, and i think also what what it's saying is that the the sin that is born out of that conflict doesn't come from the animals it comes from the heart of man um, and that seems evident from the final moments when with rosaline's character in the in the fairy tale world at least when she kind of realises that these wolves are maybe not as, I don't know, as, as, as ferocious as we've painted them out to be and that maybe it's us who have been attacking them and they're more in a defensive position. And I don't know, there's just, like I say, it was one viewing and it's all a bit muddled, yeah. it's all a bit disjointed, but I just feel like if these scenes had been handled better, then maybe whatever kind of message is trying to be said here might have been a bit clearer. But for, for me personally, it feels like this is a film all about the relationship between men and beasts and how man's sin has essentially corrupted that relationship and it's become something ugly, it's become, become something transformative, something that it shouldn't be. Um, that, yeah. That's just me personally. I love it, Brian. It's, it, I love. I love when we watch a movie and the two of us have completely <laughs> different opinions. It's just. It, it, it's always a good thing because, like you, you've obviously seen one thing there. I see it as something completely different. Mm -hmm. Which uh, this is this is what I love about when you watch a movie and these two people can see two different points yeah. of view and it's both correct to them. Um, I, I see it as a more. 
um, girls uh, starting puberty and, and men being beasts and being drummed into that they're evil and horrible and her starting to like see the attraction there and you know that being told that she can't have it and there's something exciting about that with the with the guy at the end who she knows is all kind of wrong but also mm. all kinds of exciting as well and pushes boundaries. I seen it as as that kind of thing. It's just well, I, well, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you on that. I actually agree with everything you just said, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think a film has to be just about one thing. And if somebody gets a different no. reading, then it's like, oh, no, well, no, yeah, um, like I, I see all that, and I, I think there's mm. probably overall, there's more of that in the film than what I talked about. Um, but I think that comes primarily from the fact that it was written by a woman, you know, and I think she's obviously. She's coming at it from a female perspective. The characters are written from a female perspective. So, of course, she's going to be dealing with a lot of that stuff. And then, mm -hmm. obviously, on, jump, on board jumps Neil Jordan. He's then, you then get a man's perspective on it. And, yeah, like, like I say, maybe, maybe this stuff's got muddled in there at some point. Mm -hmm. But for, for me, I always think if, you, if you're going to start quoting the Bible in, in, in your film... And mentioning, if that Bible quote has things that are very particular to what's been going on, you know, like wolves, for example, you know, mm. it quote, in the quote, it mentions wolves. And um, so to me, when you do that, that says to me, all right, well, this is important. What, what are they, what, what do the filmmakers think this passage means what's their interpretation of it because clearly that's what they're going to do they're going to throw that passage in there either to challenge it in some way or mm. acknowledge it in some way and to me it kind of does a little bit of both it acknowledges that yes we're living in a time when you know man and beast uh, there's there's unrest between them uh that even goes between man and woman as well um mm. and yeah. yeah, how how do we get back there? How do we get back to that? Mm. And and is that attainable? And I think by the mm. by the end of the film, the answer is no. You know, because these wolves break out of the fantasy world mm. to essentially yeah, that, tear I her apart. I don't feel as if I've got a full grasp on it either. I think there's other things there, but it's, same as you, I don't know if I want to go back to revisit it mm. to, to nail them down because, like, with the sexuality aspect of it, right from the start, you get her, her the death of her sister who left the straight and narrow. For lack of a better word, she led. She left the path. She paid the price. Mm. Her grand continues to tell her all these stories about how men are horrible, and that leads up to the end scene with the, with the, the man she meets because everything about him is all aspects of the stories that she's heard, from the mm. eyebrows to the stranger to leaving the path. You've got the next door neighbour that, you know, is 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 borderline rapey. <laughs> 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 um, takes her out of the woods. It's just everything for me, seems to, to rest on that sexual aspect of the movie. But yeah, let, let's just get to it. There, there's a couple of weird scenes I'd like to talk about at some point, but first of all, let's get to the transformation scenes. Um, yeah, brilliant transformation yeah. scenes. Um, oh, particularly awesome. the one with Stephen Ray, I really like. Mm. Um, yes. So uh, like you, you can tell it's all model work, and this film was mm -hmm. done on a very low budget. Uh, it, mm -hmm. you know, it goes... Goes without saying that if nothing else, Jordan has pulled off some pretty impressive stuff from a production standpoint, given the budget oh, that absolutely. they had. Um, yeah, but uh, but it's yeah, it's all practical and it's all gnarly and just yeah, 
Yeah, it's, it's always going to be better when it's practical. Even when it looks a bit wonky, a bit kind of wooden, just mm. the fact that it, it's still something that you know you could physically reach out and touch, mm. it just adds so much more than any kind of CGI effect ever could. But it's different to, I think, any other transformation scene that I've seen. Mm. Simply with the fact that they're ripping the skin from their flesh. You know, and they, they, they turn into actual wolves. It's not a half man, half wolf. It's that full thing. It's just, it's horrible looking. It's textured. It's just, like you said, practical. You could feel as if you could reach out and touch it. I think it's awesome for that. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's just, it's very brutal. I've got to say, when it happened... It was just like, it did take me back, take me aback a bit. I was just like, mm. this is actually pretty full on. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I was very it, impressed. That, I must be said. That's the thing, it, it is a, it's a children's fairy tale, but it's given these moments of adult nature, like the gore, um, the, the part of the guy transforming, and then you have like scenes of um, Rosaline's mother and father having sex while she's in the room mm. sleeping. It's just, it, it feels uneven tonally because you do feel as if you're having this fairy tale kind of story mm. that's just yeah. kind of sprinkled with adult factors one of the scenes I wanted to talk about was the scene with the aristocracy the family at the, I think it's a wedding yes. or something, yeah. and the woman comes in give me your thoughts on this Brian See again, it's just it's that idea that, and this is where I get um, this whole thing between the the unrest between man and beast, and how actually it's it's man's sin that is at fault, not the beast, because it's it's these men who have mistreated this woman. In particular, it's this man who's mistreated this woman. Um, and as a result of that, she visits a curse upon them and um, turns them into into wolves. Uh, and it's just like, I don't know, to me it feels like there's something there about the sin of man kind of being uh, being brought brought upon them and, and, and turning them into, yeah, into mm. wolves. It's, it's just, it's, yeah, grasping at straws. <laughs> 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 it's just weird. Is it like I see is that the woman's been sexually wronged mm-hmm. and she's getting her revenge again, but it's just such a weird scene. Mm. Just to see these these wolves sitting at the table or, or dogs or whatever you what you call them and the the servants still kinda there. It's mm. just it's just weird. It, but but, but it's but scene. it's because it's the again, you know, if you want to talk about the sin of man, you you look at these guys. Why not? Why not a pauper's village, you know? Why not um, common folk? No, it's, it's very specifically the aristocracy. They're all mm. sat there, made up to the eyeballs, gorging themselves on this feast that could feed, you know, half half a town of, of poor people. And it is this excess, man's excess, man's sin. And I feel like, yeah, that's... There's something to do with that going on there. I, I don't have a full, fully formulated idea of, of how that is actually playing out, but to me, that that's just what kind of jumps out at me. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think there could be a case of there isn't a fully formed thematic here. It could mm-hmm. be cross source from the writer and the director. I think there could be mm-hmm. a 
opposing opinions there, and, and we never get that fully realised one. Um, and then we have that strange scene with Tim Stamp as the devil. Yeah. <laughs> a little bizarre. When I, when I saw him pop up, I was like, oh, great, we're getting Terrence Stamp in this. So, uh, it'd be nice to see yeah, what he I mean, does. But he doesn't do a right lot. He just turns up, gives gives a, a little bottle to that guy and then and then disappears. Um, hmm? Yeah. But... Uh, and, and the car, I was like, is that... That looks like headlamps. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's there's a lot of trippy dream sequences in this actually that kind of meld the something of the modern world with the more kind of period detail mm. of of an older time. But uh, it it does it does play funny bones with your head. It must be said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you think of the neighbour boy? Oh, see, I I I keep looking over to my notes because I've been waiting, I've been waiting to get to him. What the hell is going on with his voice? Seriously. I was thinking what's going on with his head. It's, it's, just, it's just everything about this guy. Like, I, I was looking at this note, and it's, again, going back to what you said about all the male characters in this. I, this is literally what I wrote. Why are all the men in this complete losers? Even David Warner is punching above his weight with his really attractive <laughs> wife. And then a note just a little later... As if to prove the point, we get Brian Glover. It's just like, you know, the, perhaps one of the most unattractive men I've ever seen in film. I just, he, he always seems to play those slimy, just gnarly type characters who, you know, if, if you want slime bag, Brian Glover's your man. If, 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 you just, if you don't want to do too much to suggest that someone's a slime ball, Cast Brian Glover and then half the work is done. You don't even need to write it in the script. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know what Brian Glover was like in his personal life. I'm sure he's a perfectly nice guy. But certainly on on film, I think Alien 3, you know, I think, uh, was it Kez? Was he in Kez? I think so. Uh, Yeah, he's just that guy. He always is. He got typecast, but hey ho, it gave him a career. Um, mm. So yeah, and 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 like you say, the neighbor, the, the boy, this boy who's trying to pursue her all the time. I'm just like, who is this guy? There's no way. No, I'm, I'm not buying that. That is the actor's actual voice. I I I think this 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 guy, and there's probably a good reason we've never seen him in anything since. He probably thought this was his meal ticket. This was his, you know, this was his chance to hit the big time. He's in a proper Hollywood kind of movie. And little did he know that they were going to bring in another actor afterwards to overdub his voice just so that they could make him look like a complete wretch, a complete simpleton, a complete sleazy little weasel. And that's exactly mm. what it comes across as. Um, but, yeah, I'm not buying that that is that actor's voice at all. OK. <laughs> um, so what else have you got in your notepad there, Brian? Oh, man, let's have a look. Um, just a few funny asides, I guess. Like this one, <laughs> just if, if you're going to do a voiceover that, that, that kind of narrates exactly what you're seeing then at least make sure the images marry up with the voiceover. Um, you know, we get this story at the end where the woman climbs out of the well mm. and the voiceover s- says, uh, 
back to the forest. She ran and ran. And actually, it looks more like a slow shuffle to me. Um, she just kind of slowly creeps across this bridge while mm. the voiceover tells us that she ran and ran and ran. And, uh, it's yeah. a kind of weird dance. Yeah, it's, it's just like, I got nothing, I got no problem with the visuals, I got no problem with the voiceover. But the fact that they're used in conjunction with each other uh, and contradict each other, it, it's just, yeah, it's like... Well, what did she do? Did she run or did she walk? I'm, I'm getting confused here. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I, I like the ending. Um, I, I, you know, this, this, I, I, I love the way it's orchestrated, the way all these wolves just come bursting through, you know, the, the painting at first, out of the fantasy world, and then you get the final wolf that bursts through the window and I did listen to some of the director's commentary actually on, right. on this okay. um, mainly because I was trying to I was trying to find out if he if he had anything to say about what what the uh, the, the final little parable kind of thing meant uh, you know if, if he had a take on it and it turns out he didn't really he was just talking more about the technical aspects but he did talk about the way they had to slow down the camera in order to catch that wolf crashing through the window like they had to slow it down to an unbelievable degree um, but it, it makes for a really beautiful image and again just just this idea that right now that there can be no peace between man and beast um, but uh yeah yeah Is that you uh i th- think so um there's not much else i don't think uh the a few other things like the, the, there was I, I will say uh i sometimes get these moments in films where as as, as someone who wants to direct myself I, I always think how did they get that as as a director how did they how did they elicit those performances from from those actors, from those children? And a case in point in this film is when so you've got Stephen Stephen Ray's character. He kind of he he disappears. He gets bitten by a wolf and then he disappears. And his wife remarries, hmm. and then she has kids. And then we get this scene playing out where she's with her kids. She's obviously. You know, her life has gone down the toilet. She's, she's not enjoying life the way she was. And she shouts at her kids. And it, it, it really kind of raised the hairs on the back of my neck because, the, the, you know, the, the kids are in, in frame with her. So they're, yeah, she, they're all in shock. She's shot. not gentle with them either. She ain't gentle with them. And, she, you know, she tugs on them and she shouts at them. She actually shouts at them. And the kids start crying. And, and you know, you kind of think, those kids are pretty young I'm pretty sure this isn't acting. I'm pretty sure they've gone full method there. And, and when that happens, I always question the moral implications of that. As, as a director, where do you draw that line? You know, do you go to your, your lead actress and you say, you know what, just let rip. We'll, we'll, we'll clean up afterwards. Um, but yeah, just, just try and get these kids to cry. Just, just go with it. Go with your natural instincts. And, you know, do you, do you have those kids' parents on set? And if so, mm. 
What have the parents said about this? Have they agreed to this? And if so, should they really be allowed to let their children into the film business? You know what I mean? It's just like from a from a, a visual standpoint, you know, when, you, when you're watching it and you get caught up in that moment, you do get caught up in that moment emotionally because it feels very real. But on the other hand, that's the problem. It feels very real. When you're dealing with kids, when you're dealing with children, I, 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 I'm not sure I, I like seeing stuff like that on film. Yeah, yeah. I, I was exactly the same. As soon as she yanks at the younger one... Mm. You know, like with her arm around the waist, the yanks. I was just like, oh, that's, that's a bit unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I think about my own child, and I think, you know, I, I if I was going to let her be on a, in a film, on a film set, I would be there. And I, I tell mm. you this much if an actor did that to my child on a film set, um, my child would be off that film set faster than, than that person's face would hit the ground after I clobbered them. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, in all fairness, the, the toddler kid does get a raw apple to suckle on. Is it an apple? Is it a, a potato? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, company mm. of wolves. Yeah, so... Yeah. It, was, it was not first time watch. Um, like we've, we've spoken, some great production values. Mm-hmm. So, um, interesting visuals along the way, but an over arching sense of dullness mm. of unimportance of a, a lack of connective tissue yeah. between some of the scenes you know it has all the plot points there but they just don't marry up and it was a movie that by the end of it I, I was struggling struggling to pay attention to it it kind of yeah. lost me and, and I couldn't pinpoint the moment when it did it it just had um, visually stunning but there's nothing really there. There is thematics there, but I don't know if we're thrusting that upon it to try and give it a little bit more importance because it wasn't as good a movie as we kind of hoped it was going to be. For me, it was interesting, but flawed. Mm. Um, and I think, I think I'm going to give it two and a half out of five. Yep, we're we're pretty much down the line, straight straight up agree on it. Um, I I just. Just echo everything you said, really. Uh, I, I feel like there is something here, I think, but at some point it's got lost along the way. And I don't know if that is simply a case of director not quite understanding writer or writer not quite giving director enough to go on. One mm. of the two. Um, but uh, it feels like that there's there's something going on. There's, there's, there's certain themes there that they're trying to deal with, but they never quite get to grips with them in a satisfying way, a truly satisfying way, because mm. like you say, it just it feels like it feels like some good little stories kind of co- connected together with really thin connective tissue that yeah, yeah that doesn't do a very good job of linking them. So yeah, two two point five out of five for me as well. Uh, I, I I again, Anton first. I've I've always loved Batman, as you know. The Tim Burton one was was you know that film was what got me into the character to begin with, and part of that was his production design. So to see to see his name pop up at the beginning on the credits um, and 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 just admire his work here 
Uh, I, I, yeah, if, if for nothing else, if you, if you want to check out the film for, for, for one reason, I'd say that's the reason. But hmm. beyond that, um, it, it doesn't really offer much for me, for me personally. But Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, with, I'm with you on that. Um, so, Brian, your top five for this episode. So the top five was top five werewolf movies. Mm-hmm. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Um, there was one movie I've seen a few times with a werewolf. Okay. Couldn't find the name of it. Can't remember what it was called. Oh, what happened in it? Uh, all these people are called to a mansion. Okay. Um, it's set in the late 70s, I think. They discover that there's cameras all around the place. They're kind of encased in... And a hunter tells them that they have all been present where there has been werewolf attacks, but they don't believe there's werewolves. And he says that one of them is a werewolf and he is going to hunt them. And actually, I think about a couple of minutes from the end, the movie actually stops, right? And this timer comes up and it's like, do you know who the werewolf is? <laughs> Could it be this person? And it's, it sounds cheesy and it kind of is, but it's so much fun. But you can't remember what it's called. I can't remember. It. I've seen it a few times. And so I just can't so if, if you're listening out there and you have any idea what this film is, please do leave us a comment and let us know. Yes. Graham would really like love me. to know what that yeah. film is. Yeah. But, um, that would have been on my list okay. if I could have remembered it. All right. <laughs> Disappointing. Okay, so who's going to go first on this, Brian? Uh, go on, I'll go first. Um, I think we're going to have some crossover here. I think we will. Th- th- like, uh, I came up with a list of all the werewolf movies I've seen. I've got 30 altogether. Uh, when you consider that three of those are Twilight movies and five of those are Underworld films, that does cancel out, cancel out a pretty big number of those 30 straight off the bat. Um, so, yeah, there's... The thing with werewolf movies, that they're a bit like vampire movies in the sense that you think, oh, I, I love werewolf movies. And then you go and you, you, you do some research and you think about all oh, the great werewolf movies I've seen in my life. And then as you're compiling the list, you realise, actually, you know what, there's only a handful that I would actually call great. Um, and everything else, you know, ranges from not that good to, to just good. Um <laughs> Like I could, you know, I mean, I've got my list here now. I'm not going to go through it all, but literally, once we get to my number eight, that's when we're in the realm of simply good. Um, number number seven to my number five, well, number seven to my number four, I'd say, uh, yeah, just just a bit better than good. And only my top three, I would truly say, are, are verging on great. But none of them, none of them I would give a five-star rating. So there you go. I've, I've never given a werewolf movie a full-on five out of five. Um, um, for my list, it was, it was movies that just instantly jumped out at me. Just mm. The first five like, werewolf movies that popped in my head. Okay. Um, because if they pop into my head, then they're obviously the ones that have lasted with me. So, <laughs> but, but there's some big ones there I'm sure will overlap. So I'll, I'll let Absolutely. you do the honours. Okay, okay. Um, and my number five is The Wolfman. And this is the remake, uh, which I know a lot of people are going to curse me over now. Um, I, I, th- my number six 
out of my 30 films that I came up with, my number six is actually the original Wolfman, the original Universal. So literally, they're, they're essentially at the same position. I know a lot of people didn't like the remake. I did. Um, I, I loved the makeup effects on it. I loved the atmosphere of it. I thought, uh, was, it, was it Joe Johnston? I always get mm-hmm. com- yeah I always get confused between Joe Johnston and Joe Dante but it was Joe Johnston uh, I thought he did an incredible job from a visual standpoint and and just from from really capturing that original Universal Monsters vibe you know um, and I thought it was a brilliant start to a fresh take on the Universal Monster movies unfortunately mm-hmm. it did piss poor at the box office. So they just they axed it right there and tried to start again with Dracula Untold. That did the same. So they tried to start again with The Mummy, with Tom Cruise. And they just can't seem to get it. They can't seem to get it right. But I think they did. I thought The Wolfman got it right. I thought, you know, if, when, if you're trying to update those Universal monster movies for, for, for the modern day, they nailed it. And I think a lot of the problem with this film was the audience. He just... I don't know, I guess they just didn't want to see that kind of stuff anymore. Um, mm. Too used to a diet of Marvel movies and things like that. But uh, no, for me, number five, The Wolfman. Yep, um, I haven't seen it since the cinema. I remember thinking it was okay, but that's, that's about as much as I can think of it. Um, straight in at number five in my list is the outstanding, the fantastic Monster Squad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, we know you absolutely despise and hate this movie, Brian. Um, as you've said countless times. <clears throat> um, I've never said take... that I despise No, I know. It. I'm just teasing. Mm. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Um, the, the Monster Squad is a movie we've spoke about a couple of times on here, but mm. one aspect of it that I really do like is the werewolf creature within itself, and particularly the guy. The guy who is distraught at what he's doing, wants to be stopped, feels as if he is just going through a hell of a pain, just can't can't escape the inevitable which is coming, tries to get himself locked up, tries to save people. I think it's just a really nice aspect that we don't see enough in kind of werewolf movies. Okay. Plus it's the Monster Squad. Mm. I, all those things, all those things you just said about it, my my ten year old self was so with you, it just was two thumbs up. You're mm. talking you're talking to a guy who at one point in his life would have put the Monster Squad in his top ten movies of all time. Admittedly, that's probably where my roster of films extended to about fifty to hundred movies that I'd seen. But but I did. I loved it as a kid. Um, it just didn't quite hold up as well for me. Uh, all these years later. Anyway, um, <laughs> so my my number four, uh, and this is the newest film on my list. It's the most recent. Uh, is is a film called Howl. It's a British film in which a train breaks down, uh, and the main character is this 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 lad who's a bit of a pushover, gets walked on by all his colleagues and, and, and people just in his life. Uh, and he has to step up to the plate, basically. Uh, this train mm. breaks down in the middle of this forest 
and gets attacked by a band of werewolves and he has to step up to the plate and try and save everyone. Um, turns out he doesn't do a very good job, but uh, he does, he, you know, but he does, he does grow a pair basically and he, he, he becomes someone that at the start of the film he perhaps wasn't. Uh, and and mm. really I only got it because, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Gotham, the TV series, and my favourite character in that is Alfred. I think Sean Pertwee is, is just, yeah, he steals that show for me. Uh, plus he was in uh, as, uh, another really great werewolf film that may be coming up on my list. Um, and so, yeah, I, I saw this on Blu-ray, for like it had been knocked down to like two pound in HMV, so I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll give that a watch for two pound, and I'm glad I did because I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I've checked out reviews for it since, and the score on IMDb is pathetic. Score on Rotten Tomatoes isn't that great. Uh, this is genuinely one of the most underrated horror films I've seen in a long, long time, and I, I've recently kind of been happy at any occasion that I can bring it up in conversation because I I urge people to check it out. If you've not seen Howl, check it out. Very underrated, independent British horror film. Hmm. Um, I've I've seen the cover. I've not checked out the trailer or anything, but you've got me interested. I'm Hmm. quite curious about that. I might add it to my list. Um, Number four in my list is Dog Soldiers. Um, A a movie you've alluded to. uh, A group of army guys in Scotland get torn apart by werewolves and it is bloody it is fun it is tremendous and I think you know what I'm just going to leave it there and I'm sure it'll appear later on for us to talk about (laughs) okay my number three is an American werewolf in London Uh, this is a film I've not seen since I was a teenager but it did have an impact on me I remember the humour I remember the change sequence, still perhaps one of the greatest change sequences. You know, again, going back to the whole idea about practical effects. But, yeah, uh, I, I, it's one of those I need to check out again. I, I remember the ending being quite, you know, as, 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 a, as a kid, watching it as a kid, I remember the ending being quite terrifying. Um, I don't know how it would play by, you know, adult standards um but yeah i I honestly can't remember that much about it but i'm I'm going off primarily the reputation that the film has and my early memories of it and i i remember it scaring me as a kid i i remember seeing it again in my teenage years with my brother It, it is a very good film um but i just happen to think that there are two more werewolf films that are better than it Okay, um, my number three is Ginger Snaps. <clears throat> I love this movie since I, I first saw it in the mid nineties. Um, it's, it's all about two sisters, uh, one called Ginger, who gets attacked and surprise, surprise, uh, becomes a werewolf. Has a vestigial tail. All the the, the trappings that go with that. Um, two sequels that I never actually got around to checking out. I do. Um, I do have them, but. I, I, I will watch him at some point but Ginger Snaps was a tremendous movie it's one that I've not seen in a long time but I just remember it having a, a, a strong effect on me when I did see it probably really need to revisit that at some point I think mm. you do need to revisit it at some point because it's my number two 
Uh, yeah, I I think it's a really really great werewolf movie. Um, it, it is this see this is a film. You know, you, you talk about the company of wolves, and you talk about the themes yeah. you, you were in about. This is a film that does it much much better. You know, yes. Um, there, there is there's no kind of ambiguity there. Uh, I, I mean, like th- th- there is, but not in the sense that you don't get what's going on. You know, it's yeah. it's not a film that kind of spells everything out for you. Um, but the themes are very distinct. They're very recognisable. You you can see the thread that runs through the entire film. You know, it's all about puberty in women, essentially, mm. um, and the ugliness of it. But also the uh, the strength that it ultimately brings once once every every young woman goes through it. Um, so yeah, uh, it, just a brilliant film. Again, practical effects. The the effects don't look outstanding. It must be said. Again, this is another one of those really low budget independent horror yeah. movies. But I don't care because I get you know it's it's always got to be about story and character, hasn't it? If you get your story mm. sorted and your characters really well defined, you can overlook certain uh, you know dodgy bits in the special effects front. But uh, but yeah, they're good. They're still effective. They're gnarly. They're quite bloody, quite brutal. Uh, the way that a werewolf film should be. And yeah. My number two choice, Ginger Snaps. And, and the, the sequels, actually, just, just while we're on them, the second one is a bit dull. It's quite plodding. Third one's actually quite enjoyable. As, as a straight-to-DVD release, it's, it's pretty good. And they, they, towards the end of it, they do go all out with, it, with quite a lot of werewolf kind of special effects and stuff. So. Right. Okay, uh, my number two. And I, I kind of had a hard time placing my tune one movie um, my, my number one is is probably the more prominent of the two movies and one that I really do enjoy but I do have a soft spot for my number two movie and that movie is Silver Bullet it is a adaptation of a Stephen King story it stars Corey Haim and Gary Busey came out in the early 60s uh, came out in I think it was 1986 yeah. and it's basically about a small town America as a lot of Stephen King stories are you have this little boy who is wheelchair-bound, but he has a kind of motorised wheelchair. Mm. Um, and he kind of realises that there is a werewolf in the town. And the werewolf kind of realises that this boy knows. And it becomes a kind of who's going to outsmart each other type of thing. He's trying to figure out who the werewolf is, and the werewolf is starting to kill off people close to him. And it's it's such a... You kind of know that the little boy's safe. But whenever you watch the movie, you know that he's going to survive. He's the hero, blah, blah, blah. But everybody around about him is fair game. His mother, <laughs> his sister, his uncle. Anybody can and possibly will die in this. And it adds real weight to it. And there's lots of really tense sequences of him trying to get his wheelchair started. And you get say, visions of things c- coming towards him. And it's really high say, tension. It's really fun. It's a movie that I don't really hear a lot of people talking about. Mm. but fantastic have you seen it this is one of those films where i'm not sure it's not on my <laughs> list like i i've only i only put films on my list of 30 that i can specifically remember but there was a couple there's a couple of, of films that i kind of did i or didn't i um 
Like there's one I always remember from uh, from when I was younger, and there was a scene. There was a scene that took place in a photo, not a photo, a, a phone booth. Um, the howling. Is is that the howling? Hmm. See, I just don't know because, like I say, I, I there's like there's about three or four werewolf movies that I may have seen but I just don't remember enough about to, to be definitive on and Silver Bullet may be one of them. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because this, we, we couldn't have had this list without somebody mentioning The Howling at some point. Mm. Damn! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, Brian, there you go. Your, your number one surprises. Yeah, so my, my number one is Dog Soldiers. Uh, it just, look, it, it just... It doesn't beat around the bush. It knows what its audience wants. Uh, and it gives it to him in spades. Uh, a group of soldiers go toe-to-toe with a group of werewolves. There's a lot of action, a lot of carnage, a lot of blood and gore, uh, a lot of Sean Pertwee, which is always good for my money. Uh, and, uh, yeah, a lot of humour, just some really good gags, uh, a lot of visual gags, a lot of you know, audio, audible gags, uh, just like, yeah, in the dialogue and stuff. And a lot of tension as well. Uh, it just, it's one of those films that just, it knows what it is. It hits every nail on its head, on the head, on the head and just, yeah, does everything with, with great efficiency. It's Neil Marshall's Mm. debut film, um, kind of really marked him out as a director to watch. He, he did live up to that with The Descent, but I don't think he's quite lived up to it as much since. Uh, that's not to say that everything he's done since has been bad, because it's not. Uh, no. you know, I still like some of his other work, but I, I just think those, those, those first two films, he really proved himself, and, and I kind of, yeah, I want that magic again from him at some point. But, uh, but Dog Soldiers, for me, just it, it gives me what I want from a werewolf film. I can't really argue with any of that, to be fair. Um, my number one, and it's one you've already mentioned, it's an American werewolf in London. Uh, and I, I watch this every couple of years, and it always just marvels me. It has this incredible balance of humour, drama, and unbelievable horror. Um, not just in its changing sequence, which is, is, is one of the most renowned it, it probably has the most renowned change mm. sequence um, for a reason. It still looks horrific today, even though you can kind of guess where the, the actor is in, in part to the, the, the prosthetics. Um, but there's other scenes as well with his friend who turns up to talk to him, Griffin Dunn. Um, he appears as a ghostly figure to talk to him every now and again, and he has these horrible claw marks down him with his skin hanging off, and it's haunting. It has a bit of everything it shouldn't really work it's got the humour it's got the horror it's got the drama it's got a romance it's got all these kind of aspects rolled into it and it has that kind of bittersweet but fitting ending as well the kind of thing that that has to happen but you don't want it to you know but the characters that engage themselves so much on you again um, what's the guy's name again Glover he appears <laughs> Brian Glover yep Brian Glover appears as, the, as a creepy guy Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just a terrific movie, and it really does hold up so well. Mm. Yeah. And there we have it. It wasn't too much crossover there, Brian. No. No. 
So, shall we move on to the top fives? Oh, no, top fives, not top fives. <laughs> choices so, for next time. So, shall we move on to the choices for next time? <laughs> yeah, why not? Okie dokie. So, if this is the first time listening to us, I have five truncated synopsis for Brian to choose from. He will start eliminating one by one, and whichever we are left with will be the movie that we watch next month. And I have the top five ready for each and every one of these, Brian, just in case. Oh, well prepared. Yes. So, number one. Well. An alien experiment has gone wrong and turns people into bloodthirsty creatures. A boy witnesses... Oh, sorry. Number two. A boy witnesses a mob hit and is captured by two professional assassins. Number three. A mysterious woman, fashion designer by day, prostitute by night, is accused of murder and haunted by two men. Number four. A publisher who's... You alright? Yeah, I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm... I'm drawing blanks on these, plus I have no idea which one of these I'm going to want to watch. Okay. Number four. A man who survives a brutal attack finds he has the newfound strength to stand up to a bully at work. And number five. Um, a teen is abducted by a disturbed couple and finds she has to drive a wedge between them to survive. Okay. Mm. Usually I, I'd get at least a couple of these, but I'm drawing blanks on all. Um, lose number five. Number five, you have lost the terrific, and I do mean terrific, Hounds of Love. Never um, it was seen a, a it. debut movie from a, a, an Australian director came out last year. Fantastic, wow. fantastic movie. Um, it's about two predatory uh, adults. One who is a female who's kind of damaged by the loss of her child, and uh, allows the man to. She engages his deviant side as he kidnaps teens, abuses them, murders them. Right. And uh, this one is about this one teen who finds that she has to try and get herself out of the situation that she's in. Right. It's You never see anything graphic or anything that's hints of it, but it is so tense. So right. tense and just okay. gets to you. Uh, read number three and four to me again. Okay. Number three. A mysterious woman fashion designer by day, prostitute by night, is accused of murder and haunted by two men. And number four, a man who survives a brutal attack finds he has the newfound strength to stand up to a bully at work. Get rid of number three. You have got rid of the Ken Russell directed Crimes <gasps> of Passion. Yes! Starring <laughs> Kathleen Turner. Yes! Oh man, um, I haven't um, seen that one. So okay, um, I can't remember. What was number two again? Number two. Uh, a boy witnesses a mob hit and is captured by two professional assassins. Okay, lose number one. 
Okay, you have got rid of Night of the Creeps. Okay. Directed by the yeah. amazing Fred Decker, who did <laughs> The Monster Squad. <laughs> and starring that dude from uh, The Fog and Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins, that's the one. Uh, okay. Um, okay, so you're down to two and four. Two and four. Uh, assassins. No, uh, there's one of these I haven't seen. And there's one of these I haven't seen in a number of years. So I just... The, the, the synopsis and reworded them a little bit so whether or not they're correct or not yeah. okay uh, oh man do I want to see a mob movie with uh, that's it's a typical one tell you what I'm just going to bite the bullet just get rid of, get rid of number four <laughs> okay you have gotten rid of for the second time, Wolf featuring Jack Nicholson. Oh man, I love that film. It's awesome. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer, man. Just <sighs> any to chance fair, to watch Michelle Pfeiffer. movies in the trot would have been a bit much. Yeah, I think it would have, to be honest. So you're probably interested in what you've got left with. You yeah. have been left with Cohen and Tate. Ah, um, right. Okay. And Eric Red written movie. Yes, I think I don't I've one. I've been after watching this for a while actually because I'm a, a big fan of Eric Red. Uh, so, so you haven't seen this before. I've not seen this before, and he and, and he has done a werewolf film as well that I I keep meaning to watch. Um, so yeah, I can I can see um, it. I haven't seen this either. Right. Oh, good. Okay. Um, so, so that's that's excellent. Excellent. I um, look forward to that. And I have chosen. Top five assassin movies. Top five assassin movies. Well, I already know what my number one's going to be, so... Uh... <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Not too bad. I, I'm interested. Now, I don't really know too much about Cohen and T. I thought it was a, a detective movie. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was, to be honest. Uh, the synopsis you read out kind of didn't twig me to it at all, but... Uh... Yeah, I got that from IMDb. Mm. So if it's wrong, it's not my okay. fault. So this will be the second Eric Red film that we've reviewed on Brits on Flicks. Then after the, the first one again, the then? Hitcher. He wrote the ah, Hitcher. The Hitcher. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So that's good. So we'll join us next month. We will be discussing Cohen and Tate, and uh, that should be an interesting conversation. Another first watch, which is always interesting. Mm. So thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next month on the Brits on Flux. Soho in the rain. He was looking for the place called Lee Ho Flux. Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein. Kitchen door. You better not let him in. Little old lady got mutilated day last night. Werewolves of London again.
hairy handed gent who ran amok in Kent. Lately he's been overheard in Mayfair. You better stay away from him. He'll rip your lungs out, Jim. I'd like to meet his tailor. Salon Cheney walking with the Queen Doing the werewolves of London I saw Lon Cheney Jr. walking with the Queen <clears throat> Doing the werewolves of London I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's His hair was perfect Oh, just, 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 just before we start, what's the name of the main character in this film? Say, well, that Red Riding Hood. <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe it's, is it Rose, Rosaline? Rosaline, I think yeah. you might be right, yes. Okay, all right, ready when you are. Yeah, I was ready, I was ready. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Liars! You're liars! <laughs>